nice. If you're an old disciple, turn in your Bible to Psalm chapter 130. Psalms chapter 130. I just wondered what young disciple implies happens in here. So we are the old disciples, apparently. I was doing research for this sermon this week, and this is a passage that, I, you know what, I couldn't tell you when I was struck by it, but one that I wanted to bring to you. And uh, I was doing some research on this particular sermon, and I searched the internet for the top 10 reasons why we don't pray. And I thought I'd have some funny witticisms to give you to begin our talk today. But I, I began to look at those things, and I, I looked at reasons that evangelicals don't pray. I saw some reasons that Catholics don't pray. I even read some top 10 lists from Muslims why people don't pray. And I even saw one creepy YouTube video involving a dinosaur uh, having to do with prayer. And I don't know what that was about, and please do not look for that while I'm preaching. But anyhow... I came to the sense that there were about three basic reasons why we don't pray. Uh, And for so many of us, we want to pray, but the number one reason that we don't pray the way we should is because we fall asleep or our mind wanders. I want to tell you the prayer room at Victory Life Church is the worst place to pray ever. Have you sat on the couches in there? Holy moly. When I go down there to pray during the week and I sit in those couches, it is it is like seven minutes before I'm resting in the arms of Jesus. It is, it is bad. It is bad. So uh, I have learned that if I want to pray during my work day, I need to come and kneel at this altar. And there's something good about kneeling, isn't there? Because it, it's pretty tough to fall asleep kneeling. And uh, even if your mind begins to wander, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be, I wonder if Terrell Pryor is going to make the roster. You know, you begin to have these moments, but you're kneeling, and so your knees remind you, oh, I'm praying, give us this day our daily bread. And so those are some of the reasons we don't pray, because our mind wanders, and then 15 minutes later we're going, what just happened here, and why am I thinking about QVC? All right, so we're, we're off in some distant place because our mind is wandering. So it's a good thing to kneel when we pray. And we see that throughout the scriptures, that if you kneel, it helps you to be mindful about what you're doing. So I encourage you, if you're one who likes to fall asleep or who or doesn't like to fall asleep, but happens to fall asleep, or, or you, you have trouble because your mind's wandering, maybe you should start kneeling to pray. One of the reasons we don't pray is because we see more value in other things. Some of us, it's just easier to get up in the morning and pour our cup of coffee and watch Good Morning America than it is to pray. Or we get throughout our day, and there's so many things that we can do in the natural, you know, see and smell and taste and hear and touch, so many things to do. It's tough to turn those things off to then tap into the spiritual. Now, most of us would agree, in fact, most Americans agree, 90-some percent agree that they were born with the spiritual side. So all of us are on the same page there, but so many of us have trouble turning off those other sensory perceptions so we can tune in to the Spirit of God. But we're reminded in the Bible that we connect with the Lord in the spiritual. But sometimes it's tough to see value in that when there's so much sensory things going all around us. And I think the number one reason why we don't pray, and the number one reason why we don't pray like we should, because I've yet to meet anybody who's really serious about their faith who doesn't wish they had a little bit better of a prayer life or have times where they say, I wish I had a better prayer life. But I I believe that there's so many times that we don't pray or we don't pray the way we know we should is because we really can't grasp the God who we pray to. We don't know him, we don't get him 
and therefore it stifles our prayers sometimes. It keeps us from praying the way we want to or perhaps the way we should. We forget his true nature, even though there's so many times that he's displayed it throughout our lives. We forget about how good and how loving and how caring he is, and therefore we don't pray. So you're saying, what's the sermon about today? Well, I think you picked it up. We're going to talk about prayer. Because I believe that knowing the God you serve causes you to serve him more. So as we talk about prayer today, we're not going to talk just about prayer for prayer's sake. We're going to talk about prayer with two different stresses. The first stress is this. We need to know the God to whom we pray. Because if we know him, we're going to want to pray more. And we need to pray more because God has stuff for us to do in this world. And the gateway for us to partner with him and the things he has us to do happens to be prayer. Because it's where we meet him, it's where we talk to him, it's where we learn about him, it's where we gain our strength. It's when we get connected to that spiritual side, and it's where we get our marching orders. Now we have a beautiful psalm here, Psalm 130, that has a lot to teach us in four different stanzas. And we're going to go through this psalm piece by piece today to begin to learn a little bit more about the God, to whom, the God whom we serve, the God who we pray to, and see if we can learn some deep truths about what it means to pray. This is going to be eight verses today, so your mind's probably going to want to start wandering at verse 5. So stick with me here. It's going to be up on the screen, or you have it in your Bible in your hand. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord... Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope, my soul waits for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. More than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, God's people, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem Israel from all of its iniquities. Boy, isn't that a beautiful psalm? Boy, there's some psalms where you're like, Lord, crush my enemies, break their elbows. And you're like, why am I reading this? But this is a psalm that speaks about where our heart is at, and it speaks about who God is. And though this psalm was certainly written into a specific circumstance, you know, it was, something was mindful to the psalmist, and this is, this is why it was written. It speaks volumes to us today, and we're going to break it down Verses 1 and 2, and then 3 and 4, then 5 and 6, and then 7 and 8. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Isn't that just it? Isn't that just it? We pray most and we pray more often when we're in the depths, when we're in the pit, when things aren't going the way they need to be going. I have yet to cry out before the Lord when things were going spectacular. Because crying implies that something's not going spectacular. I have prayed when things are going well. I have prayed at the times that I'm celebrating. But for the most part, we turn to the Lord most when we're in the depths and when we truly need him. And we'll be talking about this in just a moment. But I want to tell you today, that doesn't necessarily make God furious. That we're not seeking him the way we should when things are great and that we're seeking him when things are bad. I don't think God's up there always going, what are you doing coming to me now? 
I think there are moments where God might think, listen, this would not be good for me to answer this prayer the way they want it prayed because they have actually no connection to what I'm trying to do in their life by them praying this prayer. But the nature of God is such that we go to God when we're in the depths. It's the 9-11 effect, isn't it? You saw it. The churches were full after 9-11. Why? Because people recognize when things are bad, you should go to God. It's in our nature. How many television shows have you seen where somebody kneels by their bed and the prayer starts, God, I know we don't talk much. And then the prayer happens, right? And how often, too, do we hear things like, I don't know if you're even listening, but if you are. Doesn't that just sort of speak to our human existence? That even though we know who God is and we've seen him work and we've heard him speak and we've seen him do incredible things in our lives and he has has answered prayers in the past, sometimes when we're in the depths, we're like, God, are you even there? Are you even listening? Are you hearing me? I was crying out to the Lord, and, and, and I mean that in a true sense, crying out to the Lord a few weeks ago, and I was praying his promises, at least the ones that were coming to mind in that moment. And I remember Jesus saying, if you who are evil, and if your child asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Remember Jesus saying that? Well, no, you're not going to do that. God gives us good gifts. So I prayed that. I just said, God, I'm praying for a fish. Please don't give me a snake. That was my prayer. And you know what? God answered that prayer, and he answered it miraculously. But there's moments in our lives where we're feeling like God's letting the snake loose, like he's letting it come into our lives. And you know what? So much of life is hard stuff, hard stuff, hard stuff. It's not wrong to call to God out of the depths, even if you haven't talked to him in a while. And isn't it interesting that when the psalmist speaks, he says, let your ears be attentive, God. Listen, are you listening? Listen to me. Listen to me. Because he recognizes that though God may not answer the prayer the way he wants, it's important that God be connected to him and his request. Now, you might say, well, you know what? I have reached the point in my life where when I'm in the depths, I say a small prayer and I just leave it there. Because God's going to do what God's going to do, and I have no power to change it. My prayers really don't matter. I just say, Lord, help me out. Your will be done. Now I'm out. And I want to tell you today, that is unchristian. That's heathen fatalism, and you need to get it right out of your life. You might say, "Well, well, well, hold on a minute. Philosophically, Pastor Matt, if God is omniscient and he started all the way back when and, 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 and he, he knows our steps and he knows our words and he knows uh, my prayers can't affect anything. There's an entire Bible in your hands today that says that prayer affects something. But philosophically, I... Stop. God's word today says that your prayers matter. Stop with the heathen fatalism. Stop it. That's not who God is. Your prayers matter. I can't see how that worked. I once read John Calvin. Stop for a moment. And if you want to read the Institutes of the Christian Religion, talk to Kim. He'll get it for you, I'm sure. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it's on your shelf. No, Kim? No? Oh, it is. But you won't let anybody borrow it. All right, so 
He doesn't want you to become a heathen fatalist. No, I can't, I'm kidding. Uh, I read this, I saw this, but you know what? That fatalism doesn't really come from theology, does it? And it doesn't really come from philosophy, does it? What does it come from? There was a moment in my life where God didn't heal. There was a moment in my life where God didn't deliver. There was a moment in my life where God didn't save. And so his will be done. And I want to remind you today that the Bible has the answer to that too. And it says that sickness and disease and the selfishness that has caused other people to sin against you, even death, is the price of our free will. It's the price of God giving us the opportunity to work with him or to not. It's it's free will. You say, well, how does that work? Well, I read the Institutes. I like reading John Calvin. That means something to like four of you, but I'm just going to throw it out to those four who want to come yell at me after the message. I read it. This is, not a, this is not a theological sermon. This is a biblical sermon. Read the Bible and recognize that, that sin and sickness and death are the results of human free will and sin. And those things happen. And those things happen. Yet God still wants us to pray. He still wants us to pray. And we'll see why in just a few minutes. Sometimes God answers prayers with a definitive yes. I had one of those this week. How many of you have had a definitive yes in the last few weeks? God answered a prayer and you know he answered it. Isn't it easy to come sing the worship songs on those days? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Woo! Yes. Let's celebrate. But there's also a reason that the Bible calls praise a sacrifice of praise at one point. Because sometimes God answers in that definitive yes and it's easy to celebrate. Other times, God answers with a, hold on there a minute. And then we're praising what? Because of his promises. Sometimes God answers with a, no. And then we praise anyways because we trust him. And sometimes, I believe God answers with a, Matthew, it rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. And he answers with the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he answers with, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Or he answers with something like, cast your cares upon me. He answers with his promises and who he is. And that he's my life, my hope, and my joy, even when it's raining. And there's people in this place today, and I want to remind you that there's people in this place today who have seen miracles. They've seen definitive yeses as a result of prayer. There are people in this room today who they were told, your, your sight is going and it's going to be gone. And they can see. There's someone in this room today that they went in to take their leg. And they came out with a few incisions about that big. And I went to visit them in their hotel, or not their hotel room, wait. (laughs) I don't know what kind of hotel that is, but anyhow. I went to visit them in their hospital room a couple days after, two days after surgery. And I sort of peeked around the corner. And there were two legs there instead of one. And I I just went, 
what do I do now? <laughs> and I walked in, praise the Lord, they saved my leg. We prayed. Amen. We prayed. See, you know, God does change things. Does he change everything? No, the wages of sin is death. It rains on the righteous and the unrighteous. But does God want to display his power? Yes. Does God, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself in my own sermon because I'm getting excited. Does God want to display his power in your life? He does. When we cry out to him from the depths, we give him the opportunity to do that. Let's go to stanza two before I get way ahead of myself. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you so that you may be revered. I love where the psalmist goes with this. How many of you have ever prayed the prayer of the unworthy? Oh, God. I can't believe I'm even praying this to you today. I yelled at my kids. I criticized my wife. I was lazy at work. I watched a garbage TV show. And then I ignored a call from my buddy who needed help. But I'm going to ask you to bless this. The prayer of the unworthy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You go to God and you know, God, I have no right to ask this of you. None. But I think I should pray to you anyways. In fact, I'm sure of it. It's like a teenage girl who looks at her parents and says, Mom and Dad, I hate you! I can't wait till I move out of this house. You guys are the worst. You don't understand me. I'm going to go live in my room until I'm 18. Bye! Slams the door. Ten minutes later, she gets the text, Hey, we're going to see High School Musical 7 tonight. (laughs) The entire cast of the movie become vampires. It's going to be the best one ever. They fight with the zombies that are the stage crew, and they, they, together, they. And what does that teenage girl do? She comes out of her room, knowing that this is not going to go well, but I have to ask anyways, because what could be better than singing vampires? And... And you know, sometimes in those moments, mom and dad are going to go, no, that is the worst idea ever for us to reward that horrible behavior, right? Right? But the beautiful thing about God is he doesn't hold that grudge. You said you hated me yesterday. Well, I still love you today. And maybe you can go see High School Musical 7 another time, but not today. And sometimes when we haven't acted quite as petulant, but when maybe the enemy is just heaping condemnation upon our shoulders and it's not of the Lord that we're feeling guilt for stuff that the Lord has already forgiven us for we are reminded by the psalmist you know what even though God has so much more dirt on us than we have on our teenagers he wants to forgive us and he wants to move in our lives and he's full of forgiveness because he wants to be revered he wants to be honored he wants to display his glory none of us deserve the miracle but God does miracles anyways. None of us deserve his divine favor. And that's why we sing loudly, your grace is enough. Because that's unmerited favor that God shows us time and time again. Thank God he's forgiveness. And isn't this cool that David or the psalmist knew that truth long before Christ even came? Isn't that neat? 
we didn't have the visual historical display that God has forgiven us yet. We had God stepping into history telling people like David and Moses and Isaiah, I am love, I am forgiving, I erase iniquity, I erase sin so that that you can have a relationship with me. But we hadn't seen it displayed yet. Yet the psalmist knew God's forgiving and loving. And even though I'm not worthy to have this prayer answered, I'll pray it anyways. Not because of who I am, but because of who he is. He wants to forgive. In his word, I hope, is part of the next stanza. How many times does he say in this stanza, I wait for the Lord, I wait for the Lord. More than those who watch for the morning. More than that person on the last watch of the night in the military. More than that person sitting by the bedside of their sick loved one, just waiting for the sun to come up. More than those people, I am waiting for you, Lord. To speak, to move, to answer, to become present in my life once more. I am in a rough place and I need you. Why? Because the facts about who God is have been revealed to this writer. That God loves you. And he had you in mind when he revealed himself through his son. The author knows the facts before the facts even happened. The author knew God's promises before Jesus ever came. So he waited. And he waited. And he waited on the Lord. Because he knew that his prayers had the power to change things. Because God told him so. And he knew that though he was not worthy because of who God is, he still answers prayer. He recognized that he needed to wait for the Lord to restore health, to restore joy, to restore peace, to bring back that wayward loved one, to restore sanity and soundness of mind. He recognized that he could do all the self-help tapes that Israel had to offer, which was none. He could do all those things that people told him to do. Turn that frown upside down. He, he, he could try every technique in the book. But the only one who could speak into his circumstance was the Lord. How do we get so far from prayer? How do we get so far from the Lord where we get to the point where we know that the one that we should be waiting for is waiting for us to ask? And we're going, I'm just going to move on with my day. I'm just going to move on with my week. I'm going to ignore the call. And God is in his heaven saying, come on, come on. Because there's also a benefit in the waiting. It builds trust, it builds character, it builds perseverance. There's also a benefit in the waiting. And he's doing what he's doing for a reason. The final stanza. And if you'll allow me to paraphrase a bit, I'm just going to put people of God in for Israel. Verse 7. O people of God, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love. And with him is the great power to redeem. It is he who will redeem God's people from all its iniquities. And there it is. 
This is why we pray. Because God loves you and he wants to display his love and God has redeeming power. Great redeeming power. Great ability to take what was sold off and buy it back. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. That's why we pray. We pray because God has an incredible way of taking the burden of today and making it the testimony of tomorrow. He has a great way of taking what weighs us down right now and making it an opportunity to praise and minister on another day. That's why we sing. That's why we praise. Because we had a prayer life that was powerful and effective. We had a prayer life that that resonated, that God had the power to forgive and to redeem, to make new and to display his love. So seek him. Offer your petitions to him. Cry out to him when you're desperate or angry. Call the just one unjust. He's big enough for it. Fall asleep in his arms. For those of you who don't like that type of language, give God a manly handshake and thank him for strengthening your resolve. (laughs) Whatever it is, you know. In fact, AJ and I were even talking before the service today and, and there was a song that we were thinking about playing and I, I said, you know, you know, there's some guys who just wouldn't resonate with that song because it's just not manly enough, right? We recognize that stuff. We talk about it all the time. So forgive us if our language is a little bit too emotive for some of you. But pray. Allow God to display his love for you. Get to know him. Give him the opportunity to show his redeeming power in your life. All of us want to be effective servants of the Lord. That's why we sit here today. To one degree or another, if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ and said, Lord, be Lord, be master, be it in my life, I want to remind us that without prayer, we are weak and powerless because without prayer, we're calling him weak and powerless. We have nothing to offer the world if we are not operating in the redeeming power and the steadfast love and the perfect forgiveness that our Father in heaven has displayed through his Son, Jesus Christ. We're weak and powerless. I looked at verse 8 and I thought, if we didn't have Jesus, this verse would be so out of place. So I thought, it is he who will redeem God's people from all its iniquities. I thought, what does that have to do with where the psalmist is at that day? Right? He's crying out to the Lord. He's saying, I'm in the depths. Oh, Lord, if you were to count the sins, I'd be in deep trouble. So I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. I'm waiting for you. And we don't know what the circumstance is. I'm sure there's a commentator, maybe your study Bible, who will tell you exactly what was happening in David or the psalmist's life at that exact moment. Right? We don't know. What we know is this. He was looking forward to a day that relationship with God would be made new. And that even though we are sinners and fallen and separated from God, God would make a way to bridge that gap and bring us into relationship with him. This is incredible. Because he was operating in the promise of God before the action took place that displayed God's power. 
he was operating in the effects of the cross before the cross had happened. This fella was operating in God's promises and trusting him, even though those promises wouldn't even come true in his lifetime. But they did. But they did. But they did. And when we pray, we acknowledge that Jesus Christ has bridged the gap between us and the Father. And that we get to partner with him in life now. And though he may not always answer the prayer the way we want, and though he might not always display his miraculous power and look at us and say, it rains on the righteous and unrighteous, and though there may be times that we don't quite understand what we're doing, he wants us to cooperate with him in this world because it's the only way to live. And there was somebody at 1,000 A.D. or 1,000 B.C., thousand years before Christ walked the earth who said God I know that you are going to redeem your people I know that you are going to bridge the gap between God and man so I'm going to operate in that today that's a lot of faith it's a lot of faith and that's what prayer is that's what prayer is God, I know who you are and I know what you've done and I know what you're going to do. And there's times that it's going to affect me in ways that I don't appreciate and there are times that you are going to display your power mightily but whatever it is, I wait for you. And I want your power and your forgiveness and your love to be displayed because it's you who will redeem this world. This is a beautiful song it speaks to everything we know his words and we know his promises so we're going to operate in that right now I love what he said in the stanza before I wait for the Lord my soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning more than those who watch for the morning in his word I hope recognizing that the times that God is silent in the moments that we don't understand what he's doing in our lives we have his word to hope in He's already spoken. He's already spoken. He's already spoken. And his promises are true. To use an old King James phrase, they are yea and amen. That's who God is. He wants to operate in your life. We don't pray because we see God as some unloving stoic or some vengeful meanie or some powerless wimp or some absent father, but all of those are so far from the truth. In fact, they're the opposite. Our God has steadfast love. He is forgiving and does not mark our iniquities. And he wants to take what was bad and make it for good. He wants to redeem. What we learned today is the same God who spoke the galaxies into existence, who put the sun, moon, and stars in their place, who created all the right conditions for life to take place on this planet. And the God who thought up DNA wants you to seek him. Isn't this neat? This whole psalm is about God's power displayed in the life of an individual here. 
And then the wider view in verse 8. Oh, but remember, God's power is, has, and will be displayed in God's redeeming of the world. God wants a relationship with you. He wants to meet you right where you're at. He wants you to seek him. He wants you to cry out to him. In the times that it's celebration, praise his name. In the times that it's a sacrifice of praise, make the sacrifice. If it's the time where you're singing the song because you're trusting him, sing it. But he wants you to know him because your life is to be in service to him because he is the Lord. You don't have to rely solely on the words of Moses, Isaiah, and David. You can rely on the historical fact that Jesus Christ came, that you might be part of the kingdom of God, that you might have the bridge gapped between you and God, and that you might serve him with your whole life and your whole heart. How foolish we are if we don't seek him. How misguided we are if we don't petition him. And how reckless could we be to not serve him with this gift of life? The all-powerful creator who wants to love you, who wants to forgive you. The all-powerful creator who wants to redeem what's broken in your life and display his power so that he might be revered. Let's pray. Today, as the elders come and step into the aisles, we're going to give you an opportunity right here to seek the Lord. You say, well, what's the call, Pastor Matt? What specific thing from your sermon do you want me to pray about? All of them. Some of you need to be healed miraculously today, and you've been walking through the desert. You've been walking through a hard time. And you just need to pray and seek him. Well, this is the moment. Some of you today are in a place where you recognize that you haven't been serving him. And though God doesn't mark iniquities, you sure have. And the Lord invites you to pray. Confess those things to him. That he might redeem them. And make you new. Perhaps today you just feel far from his spirit. And you say, I haven't been used much in the service of the Lord. Because I haven't sought him in a long time. Well, today these altars are open and the clock is our friend. We have time to seek the Lord in this place this morning. We have time to pray for healing. We have time to pray for forgiveness. We have time to pray for direction. We have time to pray because when we don't have time to pray, we're lost. So I'm going to ask the elders to step right to the front of the aisles this morning and they're going to anoint you with oil as you come. It's a sign of the Lord's favor you want to pray today and ask the Lord for any of these things, would you come right now? Would you come? Healing, forgiveness, restoration, direction, strength, resolve, determination, whatever it may be today, would you